1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Let's pray together. Lord, we come to your word because we desire your truth, God. We desire to know you in honesty and sincerity and truth and love and spirit and in truth, God. And so we ask that you would teach us today from your word who you are, what you have done, and what you have called us to be. Lord, we give you our time, we give you our attention, we give you our minds and our hearts and ask that you have your way among us today. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, When I was in high school, one of my very first jobs was bussing tables at AJ Spurs in Buellton. Maybe some of you worked there. Maybe some of you have eaten there. Uh, It was my first job. I was probably, honestly, I was probably 16 or so, and I was a, uh, I, I was a, I was a busser, and there was one night there I remember in particular. It was the night of our restaurant's Christmas party, the night of our, our staff's Christmas party, and I was the last busser to clock in, and so therefore I was the last busser to clock out, and that meant that the Christmas party was happening in the other room, in the, the, the banquet hall, there was music playing and games and, and, and laughter, and it, the party had already gotten started, and I was still cleaning up after the last few tables. The wait staff had checked out, the, 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 the kitchen was closed, and I was the only person on, like, just cleaning up the, the remaining tables. And that night, there was a particularly messy table. If you've ever worked in the restaurant industry, you know how uh, sometimes uh, people who come and eat there um, have no regard for the person who's going to clean up the table when, when they leave. This one was especially, uh, especially messy. It was a party of about 20 people, mostly children, and... You all worked in the restaurants uh, <laughs> or have children. Um, and, uh, and so it was, it, was, it, was, it was particularly messy. And I was young and I was frustrated that I was the last person on just cleaning up this table after this disrespectful party who just had no regard for the fact that I wanted to go to a Christmas party. Now, if you asked anybody I worked with about why that table was particularly messy. They would have told you about the cracker dance. The cracker dance is when children take the saltine crackers on the table, open them up, throw them on the floor, dance a little jig while the parents are clapping along to the beat. 
they would have told you this story. My, my coworkers heard this story and lamented with me about the injustice of it all. They felt bad for me for having to clean up after such scoundrels. It felt good to have their sympathy and their emotional support and words spread throughout the staff and throughout the restaurant about what had happened. And this became the story. The cracker dance became a legend when anyone was cleaning up a messy table and frustrated with the party who had had left the table in such a mess, someone no doubt would say, not as bad as the cracker dance. It became the epitome of what it meant to be, to, to, to leave the table uh, a mess. Um, the, the problem with the cracker dance though, is that it never happened. I completely made it up. I was young. I was frustrated And it began as this story that I told myself to justify how on earth this table could have gotten that messy with crackers just jammed into the floor. How did this happen? And so I just entertained myself while I was cleaning up the table. And then I thought I would try it out on my coworkers. When they started responding with sympathy, it felt good being encouraged emotionally. And so I just ran with it. And eventually it caught on and people started telling the story as though it were their own. That eventually it just like had a life of its own. And I wasn't going to stand in the way of that. And, you know, like (laughs) it just became urban legend. And so for years, this story was told by me and by others. And each time it was told, there was, you know, more and more embellishing. Years later, I'm talking years later, I came clean. The friends that I still, I had worked with at the time, I was still friends with, and we were talking about it one day. And I said, hey guys, I got to be honest with you. I totally made that up. They did not believe me because they had heard the story so many times. They actually had images in their head of. It had become this thing. I couldn't, I couldn't convince them. They just believed that it was fact. See, the story had taken on a life of its own, but it was a lie. See, people lie for all kinds of reasons. People hide the truth for all kinds of reasons. But most of the time, when, when we lie or, or when, we, when we bend the truth, there is either a pleasurable experience we are trying to create or an unpleasurable one we are trying to alleviate, right? We will lie if we are possibly going to be in trouble for something and we don't want to suffer the consequences. And so we try to alleviate that unpleasurable experience. Or maybe we like the amount of money in our bank accounts. And so we're going to lie on our taxes so that we can keep this pleasurable experience or this good experience. We're trying to remain comfortable. We're trying to remain safe. And so we'll, we'll twist the truth. I'll tell you another lie that I've told uh, before. Um, I, God saved me from a very dishonest past. I'll just be perfectly honest with you guys. I learned very early on that I could protect myself from undesirable circumstances just by not telling people what actually happened. Um, and so uh, I want my son to not listen to this uh, story as I tell it. Um, there was a, a night I was uh, at a party at a friend's house and I was going to pick up other people. My first car, talked about my first job. Let's talk about my first car. My first car was a 67 Mercury Cougar. 
If you remember the Cougars in the 60s, they were like diet Mustang, right? They were, they were Mustang light. They, were, they kind of had that same like look and, you know, mechanically were, were somewhat similar. And so I left this party to go to a friend's house, driving like madness through this housing track, literally like peeling out backwards, just driving totally recklessly. I was an idiot. Guys, I'm just honest with you. I go into a friend's house. I come out about 10 minutes later with my friends as a police officer standing in my car. And I said, uh, I'm terrified inside. And I say, officer, is there a problem? And he said, yeah, we got a report of a light-colored Mustang driving recklessly through the, the, the neighborhood. Do you have anything to say for yourself? And I said, with all due respect, it's not a Mustang. It's a Cougar. And he looked at the bumper and goes, oh, you're right. All right, well, uh, sorry to bother you. Have a good night. And gets in his car and drives away. And I got, into my, I got into my car, my friends, we closed the door and I was like, oh my gosh. And like, what's wrong? I was like, that was totally me. And they didn't even believe me. When we're afraid of something that might be possible, those, these are the times that we, we're, we're, we're tempted to bend the truth. We're tempted to lie. It's not an outright lie. Oh, officer, that wasn't me. I said, that's not a Mustang. Um, that's all it was. Uh, but we twist the truth when we're trying to alleviate an undesirable experience at times. And so the same is true regarding false ideas about God floating around in the world. People will twist the truth about God or twist the truth about parts of scripture to, that, that make them uncomfortable. Some of these ideas, some of these uh, manipulations of the character of God or manipulations of his holiness or his demand for holiness of us that have been twisted have gained significant popularity. And it's important that we not believe everything we hear. Just because people are talking about God doesn't mean they're talking about the God of the Bible. Just because someone says, oh, I don't believe in God. Well, tell me about this God you don't believe in because I might not believe in him either. I want to believe in the God of the Bible and what scripture says. And so the church that John is caring for in his letter, in this text that we're reading, has experienced the consequences of lies. A group of false teachers, false prophets had arisen in the church and they were teaching things contrary to the truth about God, leading people astray and into the heretical doctrine that denied the saving work of Jesus. And so these teachings that were swimming around the church, John calls spirits. Do not believe every spirit. Test the spirits. Now, we don't use this word spirit to refer to truth often in the English language. But this, this, this doesn't, uh, there's another passage in scripture that will help you understand what's going on here. Paul says something similar in Ephesians 4, chapter 14. He says that God appointed leaders in the church so that we may be no longer children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. This word translated wind is the Greek word pneuma, which John trans is translated in John as spirit. So the wind of doctrine that Paul is warning against, this, this, this teaching of doctrine, and the spirits that John is wanting us to test 
and, and he's warning us of are, are one and, and the same. The winds of doctrine that Paul is warning against and the spirits that John is warning against are teachings about God that may or may not be true. It doesn't mean that the, the person that's teaching them is somehow possessed by an evil spirit, uh, although it, it may derive from like demonic influences or things like that. John's not talking about spiritual beings. He's not talking about not believing the spiritual beings. He's saying the teaching that may derive from spiritual beings or may not derive from spiritual beings, test them. Don't believe everything you hear. And so 2,000 years later, we can relate to those in the first century. There are all kinds of ideas people have about God and about the nature of the world. And sometimes they gain enough popularity that they become ingrained in the culture at large. And interestingly enough, when the general population shares the same values and ideas, it is often referred to as the spirit of the age. You've heard this phrase, maybe, the spirit of the age. The spirit of the age is the set of philosophical, ideological, even like moral and practical values that are held to be true by the general population in a particular time and place. So when a culture, when a people in a time and place just generally assume a particular thing to be true and never question it, that can be referred to as the spirit of the age. And here's how I have seen the spirit of the age morph and transform just in my lifetime. When I was in high school, the spirit of the age was this worship of science. It was scientism. Everything must be empirically proven, tested, studied, observed, repeated in a laboratory, or else it cannot be held as true. And since God could not be confined to a Petri dish, God must be discarded and we must cling to what is testable, observable in a laboratory. But when I moved out of my hometown, I went to college in the Los Angeles area. The spirit of the age had moved on from this scientism, this worship of science and, and empirical fact, and had embraced more of the postmodern relativism. See, it doesn't matter what you think is true or what this person thinks is true or what this person thinks is testable, observable, provable in a laboratory or not, because what's true for you might not be true for me. And so this particular culture in this particular time and place might see truth in this way, but we cannot hold that to be true objectively for every culture. You guys are familiar with this. The story that people would tell is that they would say, uh, truths about God is like uh, blind men and an elephant. Have you heard this analogy that you've got blind people and an elephant in the room and one of the blind people have the elephant by the leg and they say, God is like a sturdy tree trunk. And another blind man has the elephant by the tail and says, no, God is bendy and flexible like a snake. The other one has the ear and says, no, it's bendy and flexible, more like a piece of paper. The other one's feeling the side of the elephant and said, no, God is like a, like a sturdy wall. And the whole reason people would tell that story is because they would say that each of them is, is feeling something true about the elephant, but no one sees the whole elephant. And the problem this breaks down is because the narrator is convinced he sees the whole elephant. 
The whole argument is said to no one, no one can, can, can impose their truth on another person because no one sees everything completely except for me. I see everything completely. I see the whole elephant. And so this relativism, it, it breaks down because it says there's no such thing as universal truth except for that statement right there. I expect everyone to receive that statement that there is no universal truth as universal truth. And so people began to realize that, okay, this relativism, doesn't, it doesn't hold water. And so the spirit of the age started to change again. And the spirit of the age today is, is we still have this idea of relative truth, but what does it matter really? Why, do we even, why should we even care about truth? Truth very rarely impacts my own personal experience. And so since truth doesn't impact my own personal experience and what you think to be true and what I think to be true and what everyone else thinks to be true, it doesn't matter because all that's important is that you're happy and that I'm happy and our happiness doesn't infringe on one another's happiness. So people don't even care about truth. They don't, they don't, they don't want to know truth. It doesn't matter to them because it doesn't impact their daily life. And so these are examples of how the spirit of the age morphs throughout time. And so as a church, we need to be aware of these things that are being taught in the world, because if we are still trying to defend the Christian faith by handing someone the book, Defeating Darwinism, they literally don't care. They don't care. It doesn't matter whether there's a creator or whether there's not a creator to them. All that matters is their ability to enjoy the life that's in front of them without anyone getting in their way. And so the spirit of the age has, has morphed and it moves on. Now, my reason for describing these various spirits of the age is not to pick apart any particular worldview. Rather, I would like us to see their appeal. I want us to see that the the various teachings in the world and the various understandings in the world about truth have an appeal to them. I want us to understand why they entice well-meaning people, even people who claim to be believers in Jesus. We need to be aware of the allure of these lies. Now, remember what I said were, uh, um, what I said were the, the reasons people lie. People will often lie to create an experience that they desire or to avoid an experience that they don't desire. And so the same motive applies to twisting truth about God. Many are tempted to compromise truth about God because there is some desire that they have that is unbiblical and they would like to get rid of what the Bible says about it so that they can pursue it so that they can go after it. It's purely hedonistic. It lives by that, that, that slogan that how can something wrong feel so good? If it feels good, do it. If it feels good, it can't be wrong. And so this Bible, this truth says that it's wrong. So I need to get rid of that so I can do the thing that I want to do. And so this pursuit of pleasure has led many people who profess to be Christians deny the truth of Scripture so that they can pursue what their hearts desire without having to feel guilty for it. Or more common, possibly more common, is that they deny the truth of Scripture so that we can remain in the good graces of the rest of culture. Right? Maybe I don't want to do these things, but I know people who want to do these things. And if I keep speaking out against these things, then those people in my life whose respect I want will reject me and I can't handle that. I can't handle being canceled. 
I don't want to be rejected. I want people to like me. I want people to accept me. And so I'm going to have to modify what I believe about the Bible so that I can be accepted by the culture and not be rejected. And that leads us to another motive. Maybe it's not pursuing pleasure, but it's the desire to avoid discomfort. See, this isn't a shock to anyone. Again, we've talked about how we're tempted to lie to avoid uh, punishment or a, a blemish on our reputation for something shameful. And so when Christians in the, the, the scientism culture were seen as ignorant for not jumping on board with the Darwinian view of the world that seeks to deny creation, uh, many professing Christians followed along with the culture. They abandoned the truth of God as creator and they settled for a more vague spirituality so that they could still appreciate the teachings of Jesus without being labeled a religious nut by their naturalistic contemporaries. Okay, so if I'm going to be a, re, labeled a nut because I believe that God created the heavens and the earth, then maybe I'll take a view of God that's less personal, can still follow Jesus, I still like the teachings, and people like Jesus' teachings, so I can still be accepted and, and, and not be rejected for my views. But then in the age of postmodernism, it was no longer being ignorant that was a concern, it was being intolerant. Right? So for fear of being labeled intolerant, many professing Christians followed along with the culture, abandoned the exclusivity of Jesus, and embraced a watered-down version of the gospel of universalism so that they could still appreciate the teachings of Jesus that they liked without claiming that it contradicted many of the other faiths and world religions around them. And so now I can still like Jesus and not be rejected. But like I said, we've moved on from postmodernism. We're now in what is, is being referred to as post-postmodernism. Super creative uh, uh, title there. And uh, many professing Christians, are, again, are tempted to follow along with the culture and therefore struggle to demonstrate how their faith in Jesus even matters at all. What does it matter? Why does it matter what you believe or what I believe or what they believe? There may be truth in the world. There may not be. And so we're, we're, our, our faith is, is we're, again, we're not ignorant anymore. We're not intolerant anymore, although they still throw that one around. But we're just irrelevant. We're just, we're trying to show people why faith in Jesus is relevant. And they don't, they don't want to listen. Notice the common denominator in this. It's that many professing Christians are no longer following Jesus, but they're following the culture. They're following the spirit of the age. They fulfill what the Apostle Paul warned Timothy would happen in, in 2 Timothy 4, 3 through 4. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. So then what do we do? What do we do as a church when we're aware of all of the ideas about truth and all of the ideas about God that circulate in our, our culture? What do we do? How do we discern from truth and error when it comes to belief about God? Well, John's words ring throughout the ages. It was true for them. It's true for us. He says, don't believe every spirit. Don't believe everything you hear. 
Don't believe every teaching you hear. Test them. Hold up all of the the teachings of God, all of the counterfeit gospels alongside the truth so that they can be exposed for what they are. We need to test the teachings that we hear from certain professing Christians. You, Reality Carpenteria, you need to test the teachings that you hear come from this pulpit. You need to test the teachings that you hear in this church. I'm not saying test all those teachings, but accept what I say without question. That's not it at all. We need to be testing the things that we hear and searching the scriptures and and seeing if what is being taught really aligns with truth. And we need a test for truth. And so John gives us a simple test. He says, does the spirit confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. That's a short statement, but it's a very complex statement. That Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. It's essentially saying, does the teaching affirm who Jesus is and what he accomplished? Does it affirm the person and work of Jesus? Does it affirm that Jesus of Nazareth is the Christ, the promised Messiah, the anointed one of Israel who came to fulfill the law on their behalf and die the death that that sin deserves to die and raise from the dead so that we could be raised to new life? Is Jesus of Nazareth the Christ who was the eternally existing son of God who became flesh, who took on flesh and became a human being so that he could live as our substitute, so that he could live as our sacrifice, so that he could live as our righteousness and so that he could give us the life that we could not give ourselves? Does the teaching affirm that Jesus Christ has come In the flesh, does it affirm the person and work of Jesus Christ? Because Jesus isn't just one character in the Bible. Jesus is the one the whole Bible is about. It's all about Jesus from beginning to end. I love this. uh, At the book table, we sell the Jesus Storybook Bible. Right, And Sally Lloyd-Jones is the, the one who crafted these stories, takes the Bible stories and, 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 and communicates the gospel through these Bible stories. And she says in the introduction of this book that every story whispers his name. Every story throughout the Bible whispers Jesus' name. It either gives us an example of something that Jesus would fulfill or it gives us an example of something that Jesus needs to save us from. Every story whispers his name. And so Jesus of Nazareth is the eternal son of God who became flesh, the savior of the world. How can we tell if a teaching we have heard is true or false? Does it affirm who Jesus is and what he did? Does it affirm who Jesus is and what he did? If it does not if it's, a tr- if it's a teaching about God and it does not affirm who Jesus is and what he has done, then John the Apostle says it's an error. It's a lie. And this means it can deny that Jesus is the Christ who came in the flesh either directly or indirectly. It can outright say it, right? No, Jesus isn't who we need It's this other thing that we need, or it's Jesus and, or Jesus, but not the Jesus you've been taught. It's a different Jesus than that, right? That's an outright rejection of who Jesus is and what he did. But what if someone says, sin is not the problem? There's no such thing as sin. Sin is not the problem. Hell is no place God would ever send anybody. And so what Jesus came to do 
has nothing to do with saving us from sins, but he just came to teach us the way and to be a good example. Same name, Jesus, but a very different Jesus than the Bible teaches us about. Because if, if there is no such thing as sin, and there is no potential destination called hell, then it's really pointless to send Jesus to, at all, much less to send your son to die on a cross if it's not going to accomplish anything. Our understanding of God and what he's done for us has to have sin as, as a fundamental part of the equation. If, if sin is not a part of the game, then, then honestly, Jesus is pointless. If you're going to deny sin, then, then don't call yourself a Christian because there's no reason for Jesus to have come if there's nothing he needs to save us from. And so we can deny Jesus directly. We can deny him indirectly. And so there's lots of ideas about Jesus, but which ones do we believe? Which ones do we affirm? So John goes on. It's not just the spirits that uh, confess that Jesus Christ came in the flesh. It's also uh, the, the, the people who he says, listen to us. He says, they, the false teachers are from the world and the world listens to them. He says, but we are from God and those who are from God listen to us. The us John is talking about is the apostles, the apostolic testimony about who Jesus is and the testimony that Jesus commissioned them to share. And so the New Testament church did not, or the, the early church did not have the New Testament, right? And so John couldn't say, well, it's in the, it's in the, it's in the New Testament. The, the Jesus that we're talking about is in the New Testament. It didn't exist. So he's just pointing to the teaching of the apostles that we now have accumulated and assembled as the New Testament. And so which story of Jesus do we affirm to be true? Well, it's the story of Jesus recorded in the New Testament by the words of the apostles. The, the, the scriptures uphold the Jesus that is true. It's not about personal experience. It's not about tradition. It's not about these other things. These personal experience and tradition can be helpful in understanding how we relate to Jesus, but the true Jesus is recorded for us in the New Testament. And so we don't have to receive just any teaching about Jesus, only the teachings that align with the Bible. And so church, you should not you should not care about what I say up here if it does not align with Scripture. If it doesn't align with what the Bible says about God and, and Jesus and the way of salvation and the gospel and grace and all that stuff, you really, you really shouldn't. Don't take my word for it. Don't, don't take the word of, of any pastor, no matter how popular, or any preacher or theologian or speaker, no matter how he makes you feel, no matter who is saying it, don't, don't swallow what they're saying if it doesn't align with the word of God. One of my favorite passages in all the Bible is Acts 17, 11 through 12. Now the Jews in Berea were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed. Don't just receive the teachings without discerning the teachings. Search the scriptures to understand if what you are being told is true. And when we do that, look, it says many of them therefore believed. They believed because they saw the testimony of the apostles and it lined up with the scriptures. My prayer for our church is that we wouldn't gather together on Sundays around the preacher of the word, but the preaching of the word, that we would gather together around the word of God and that we would receive it for what it is, God's word to his people. So many errors 
whether theological or moral, are made by professing Christians simply because they don't take into account how their beliefs interact with the truth of Jesus in Scripture. And so often, even if they are aware of how their views don't align with Scripture, oftentimes the response is to cast aside the Word of God and they make themselves an authority over it. They go, well, I don't believe that that is authoritative. I don't believe that that is true. I believe this thing that Jesus said, this thing that Jesus did, but I don't believe this other thing over there. And they set themselves as an authority over the word of God to pick and choose what they believe is true rather than what God has told us is true. And this passage calls people who do that antichrists. They are teaching an antichrist, an anti-Jesus doctrine. They teach with what accords to the spirit of the age. They teach with what aligns with their own spirit and desires. And so we see in culture the temptation to harden our hearts to Jesus, to harden our hearts to the scriptures so that we can pursue the things that we want to pursue. Or we harden our hearts to Jesus, we harden our hearts to the scriptures so that we will be accepted by the culture. But the second temptation that we have here that maybe some of us are experiencing in this place is to harden our hearts to those who do not confess Jesus. We harden our hearts to the world. We close ourselves off in our own little Christian bubbles where we're safe to believe what we believe and shut out anyone who disagrees. So one temptation would be, I'm going to deny the scriptures so that I can be accepted by the world. The other side is I'm just going to completely reject the world and live safely in my Christian bubble and just not deal with them and not talk to them because I'm safe here and I might be rejected there. And so both of these reactions come from the same motivation that we talked about at the beginning of all of this, right? We're trying to achieve comfort for ourselves. We'll twist the truth about who God is so that we can remain comfortable in the world or we'll twist the truth about God's mission to the world so that we can stay comfortable in our own little bubbles. All of us are tempted to pursue comfort in these ways. We don't want to make waves. I don't want to make waves among my coworkers, and so I'm going to downplay what I believe to be true. I don't want to make waves uh, among my, my, uh, my coworkers, so I'm just not going to talk to them about Jesus, and I'm only going to talk about my faith when I'm with people who I know agree with what I believe. And so we never take it outside these walls or outside the walls of a Bible study or our home because it's too scary All of this comes from that same place. We want to live our life the way we want to live it. We don't want anyone else to tell us otherwise, not God, not the Bible, not the church, and certainly not the world. And so what we all need today is the thing that John was trying to remind his church that they had already received. Before we are ever able to embrace sound doctrine, before we're ever able to repent of our sin that we don't want to turn from, the only way we're able to love the world without fear of rejection is the thing that we need is not to water down the truth. Neither do we need to attack the world and shame them for all of their various beliefs about about God or the, the nature of truth or the nature of the universe. What we need in order to stand up against the lies, but with love and gentleness and And grace is nothing but the spirit of Jesus himself. 
the truth of Christ himself and that his presence is in us by the spirit if we put our faith in him. It's Christ's presence in us by the Holy Spirit that John says, uh, is the reason that John can say in verse four, you are from God and have overcome the antichrist for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So, so what do I mean by that? Why do, in order to in order to not compromise truth and in order to go out into the world with truth and love, why do I say we need the spirit of Jesus? Obviously, the Holy Spirit empowers us to do all kinds of good works that God calls us to, but let's think about what Jesus did. Jesus is the eternal son of God who looked down on a world full of brokenness, full of lies, full of false gods, full of violence, full of hatred toward God and his people. And even among his people, it was full of hypocritical religious leaders. He looked down from heaven. He saw the condition of the world, saw how dark it was, saw how scary it was. And he didn't change who he is. He did not edit his holiness. He did not reduce the requirements of holiness that he demanded from the world. He didn't say, hey guys, um, that Moses was pretty extreme, right? He had a lot of hard things to say about all the things that you should do and should not do. Hey, you need to understand that 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 came from Moses's culture. He was raised in Egypt. And so what was true for Moses actually isn't true for you. Don't worry about what Moses said. He he was kind of extreme, but I'm going to tell you what what you need to live by. That's not what Jesus did at all. He said, hey, remember when Moses said uh, not to commit adultery? I'm going to tell you that if you lust after someone, you've already committed adultery and that's a problem. Or when Moses said, don't murder? Well, I'm going to tell you that if you even call your brother a fool, you're in danger of the fire of hell. He didn't say, geez, Moses was kind of extreme. He said, you guys, I don't think you understand how extreme Moses was. And I am going to affirm the requirements of holiness in order to live a life that pleases God. Jesus didn't change himself or his standards in order for people to like him. Okay, He came with the full truth. Neither did Jesus isolate himself from the world in order to keep himself safe. He didn't look down and go, y'all are messed up. You need some help. Pray to me, someone helps you, but I'm not going to do it. That's not what he said. I'm just going to sit up here in my little glory bubble and be worshiped by the heavenly host. Y'all figure it out yourself. I'm going to stay in safety. That's not what he did, right? He had every right to just reject us and move on, but that's not what he did. He didn't discredit or diminish the authority of the scriptures, nor did he isolate himself from the world. Jesus did not compromise the truth in order to be liked, and he did not compromise love in order to be safe. Church, we cannot compromise the truth in order to be liked. We cannot compromise love in order to be safe. And through faith in what Christ has done for you, that he left his glory in heaven, that he left his safety in heaven, and he came into a world and didn't just risk rejection. He knew he was going to be rejected. He came into this world and suffered rejection and suffered death on your behalf because the truth is really that severe, that apart from someone laying their life down for you to forgive you of your sins, you are dead in your sins and trespasses, and your eternal destination is not a pleasant one. 
We can't lie to ourselves about that. The death of Jesus affirms just how necessary we need a Savior. He affirmed the problem, but he also affirmed his love for us, that he wasn't going to let us figure it out on our own, or he wasn't going to let us stand uh, uh, and, and suffer the penalty on our own. He was going to come and save us from the penalty of sin. And because Jesus left his comforts to save you, not diminishing the truth, we can leave our comforts and bring a gospel of salvation to the world around us who will probably reject you for it. They'll probably reject us for it. They rejected him and it's okay. You can be rejected. You can be canceled and be okay because Jesus was rejected on your behalf so that you could be accepted by God. And if God accepts you because of what he has done, then there's nothing you can do to lose his acceptance, even if you might lose the world's acceptance. And so the reason we can go out from this place and love the world and love the world with the truth and not water down that truth, not make it some some Jesus loves you. He's got a wonderful plan for your life. You should come to church on a Sunday morning when the weather is beautiful because you should. We We don't have to say that. We can actually go out and love them with the truth. Hey, sin is really that bad. The, the consequences really are that scary. But you don't have to Suffer them because Jesus has suffered them in your place. We can go out with that good news. We can go out with that good news because we've been empowered by that good news. Because through faith, we've received the spirit of God that empowered Jesus to do just that. And so we can go do the same. Though our rejection will not accomplish salvation for anyone, yet our rejection will point back to the one who is rejected so that we could be saved. And so we can be bold in our proclamation of the gospel, because Jesus was bold in his desire to save us. We can be loving in the way that we go to the world with truth, even though they may not want to hear it. Because while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We didn't want to hear it. We didn't want to hear it, but he did it for us anyway, because he loves us. And so what we all need is not to fall in line or just believe blindly or sequester ourselves from the world. What we need today is to trust that the Holy Spirit in us is the same spirit that empowered Jesus in his life, death, and resurrection, that the spirit in you is greater than the spirit in the world, that if you've trusted in Jesus, you have already overcome the world because Jesus has overcome the world. And so we can walk in grace and in love and in confidence. And so we can live boldly. We can love generously and we can worship today in full confidence because our sins are forgiven. Jesus is alive and he doesn't send us out here, out of here into the world without his presence. He goes with you. He goes with you. And it's because he goes with you and because he loves you that you can go to the world and you can love them with the good news that their God has laid down his life so that they could have eternal life. And we're just the messengers. And we get to see what God does in those moments. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you and we are so thankful that you did not leave us in our sin. You did not leave us in our desperation, Lord. You did not leave us in the lies of the world, but you came to proclaim truth in love so that anyone who received you and what you have done, 
Lord, would not perish, but have everlasting life. And so God, I pray for us in this room, my brothers and sisters in Christ who know you, but are afraid to take this message into the world, God. Lord, I pray for myself. It's easy to get up here and talk to a bunch of people I know are believers, but it's a lot more difficult to go out into the world and talk to those who, who uh, I don't know how they're going to react to the, to the gospel. Lord, I pray that you would encourage us. I pray that you would empower us. I pray that you would give us such a love for the world that you had that caused you to risk everything. God, I pray that we wouldn't write the world off and protect ourselves from them, but that we would go in love and in truth and proclaim your good news to them today, God. Free us up from the lies that we're tempted to believe, the lies that we're tempted to believe that the Bible is an antiquated book, the lies that we're tempted to believe that our sin really isn't that bad. Lord, and I pray that it would be you and what you've done and who you are that would free us up from clinging to these lies and just receive all that you are as you are, the truth of everything that that God is, Lord. God, I pray that you would transform us. I pray that you would encourage us. Lord, if there's anyone here who does not know you, Lord, I pray that they would see that you're not, that the God of the Bible is not just some rule giver. Lord, but you died for them. That's how desperately you want their life. How much you want them to know you, Lord. It's not about the rules. It's about the one who fulfilled all the rules, all the law on our behalf, God. So I pray that you would stir our hearts for worship now. Lord, that you would stir our hearts up to receive these beautiful truths. And that we would begin to proclaim the good news in song as we worship who you are celebrate what you've done for us, Lord. Continue to move among us in Jesus' name. Amen.